0: There's not enough personal finance taught in school. Like we don't learn about these things. You're listening to The
1: Elevate Podcast and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life and how you can do the same. Welcome to The Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Andrew Wang. It's waiting that helps you as an investor, and a lot of people just can't stand to wait. Our guest today, Andrew Wang, helps people make patient investments. He's a managing partner at Runnymede Capital, where he helps families and business owners plan their financial futures. He's been featured in Barron's, Reuters, and Investopedia, and hosts the podcast Inspired Money. Andrew, welcome. Excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. Thanks, Bob. Excited to be here. So I always like to get the early story. And I'm I'm especially interested here because I know you've run a business with your family for over 20 years to manage to keep some harmony. So did you get a pretty significant financial education during your childhood? Was that and was that informal or or formal?
0: Well, let's say that I grew up sitting around the dinner table hearing discussions about the importance of return on equity and business cycles. So whether yeah. I liked it or not, I was sort of immersed in it, even at a young age. And was that from mom or dad? That was from dad. Okay. Although when my mom went back to work, I was, I think fourth grade, you know, it was like I was in fourth grade. My brother must've been in first grade. My mom did go back to work and she was a broker at Merrill Lynch. So they were both in the, you know, financial services business. My dad was at the bank of New York, one of the oldest banks in America. And um, he was a money manager there. Head of research. So, yeah, talking about companies and earnings, that was kind of normal in our house. So, he was in stock picking. He was in stock pick. Well, two things. He was in stock picking because he was director of research at the Bank of New York. He was the youngest senior vice president and director of research at age
1: 28.
0: Um, Ran a research department, visited a couple hundred companies in his time there. So, he covered things from Machinery. So visiting Caterpillar and John Deere. I think I might have one of those tractors on my shelf back there. So he would go, I guess these are these, that's how
1: he did research then, right? You'd go to the company.
0: He'd talk to company management, try to understand what's driving earnings for the next 12 to 12 months to five years, you know, what's going on. And he loved it because it was always talking to companies. How do you make money? He wouldn't have liked internet companies then. Do yeah, we, we,
1: we don't. That's true. Eyeballs. So, so,
0: return on equity
1: was that his famous favorite
0: metric? Not famous metric. He loved seeing return on equity trending upward. So, and explain
1: to us what return on equity is.
0: <laughs> really, you're looking at how much money is the company making right. with every dollar that it has, and if it's you know somewhere around 10% return on equity, and that's trending upward to. 20%, 30%. When a company is having that that change, typically it's very good for the stock price. You know, basically business is good, earnings are growing, the company is doing well. So is the earnings growing as a total percent
1: of the the money they have? Like what is the what is the equity denominator in that? It's not the market cap, right? It's the Yeah,
0: balance it, sheet? it's a it, yeah, it's the balance sheet. So okay. yeah, it's like how well are they deploying their capital
1: producing on their assets. Right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So it's not tied. It's not tied to, I mean, I know it's tied to earnings, but it's not an earnings metric. It's, it, it shows you how it's like an efficiency metric.
0: Yeah. It's like how profitable, how efficient. Yeah. And um, if that's trending positively, usually you're going to get a, you know, you're going to get multiple expansion, meaning that people are going to be willing to pay more higher yeah. valuation. And if it's not, then you're going to get multiple attraction the yeah <laughs> <laughs> then you get the reverse but i right. mean the other the other thing was uh you know he he was looking at companies like mcdonald's back in the 70s and it's like how many restaurants are how many new restaurants are they opening right. every year and, and the tricky
1: thing to figure out with all those sort of unit based businesses is like are the unit economics profitable versus are they opening new stores? Right. I think a lot of businesses try to conflate that. Like it's great if you're if you're losing money opening stores and it takes two years to get to super profitability. That's one thing. If you haven't even figured out a profitable store model and you're replicating it, th- that's another.
0: Yeah. And you're absolutely correct saying that my dad would not have appreciated, you know, the yeah. internet <laughs> bubble because I joined him in '98 and I was there for like really my first year. You joined him at Merrill Lynch? No, no. My dad started his own company in 93. Got it. Uh, he left the bank. He was director of research at the bank, and then he ran their money management subsidiary for 10 years. So he was managing the bank's pension fund and then struck out on his own. Got it. Uh, he, he ran their pension for about 10 years, outside clients too, managing their accounts. And then being an immigrant from China who came to the United States when he was around 13 and having had a career, like a long career at the bank, you know, his dream was to own his own business. So I joined him in 98. My first year, I saw like all the business cycles concentrated. was Was that your first job? When did you graduate college? I graduated college in 94.
1: 94. Okay. So what did you do after graduation?
0: Uh, I went up to Boston and I worked at uh Thompson Financial Services. Sure. Yeah, they're huge. Which um, you know, it was like Thomson would buy all these young entrepreneurial financial service companies. Yeah. So I worked at first call within oh, yeah, yeah. Thompson's umbrella.
1: That's the earnings like announcement
0: thing, right? Correct. It? Yeah. Yeah. It, they they collected all the analyst ratings yeah uh, their earnings and their ratings so they bought that right they bought that yeah yep yeah. yeah so it was a fun place to to work because it was a lot of young people it was kind of an extension of college yeah like a lot of kids first jobs and fun because they would have like fridays they would have beer in the like in the lobby Yeah, that's what you do when you have a young workforce. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard to do that now, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) (laughs) back in the 90s, that was a good time. (laughs) Exactly. So was it a push or a pull to go work with your dad? Um, Nothing that I had ever planned. In fact, from Thompson Financial, then I worked a really interesting job up in Peabody, Mass. I worked at a computer trading company and I worked a graveyard shift. What is computer trading? So, semiconductors and even computer parts, so CPUs, hard drives, peripherals, the whole distribution is very rigid. So, only the biggest manufacturers would be buying directly from Intel, AMD, and then everyone else has to buy from these authorized distributors. Got it. And it's very inefficient. So, depending if there's a product that is getting more popular or maybe a manufacturer is slowing down, there are shortages and overages of these computer parts huh. everywhere so all these independent brokers spring up and try to figure out who has what parts and who needs what and basically you're just you're like a a, a market maker you know how did you find that how did i find that i mean back in this was like 90 let's see 97 96 97 yeah. So probably still like in some print publication, maybe online, it's possible. There might've been a website. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, with dial-up internet. That's
1: fascinating. Sure. There's, there's always interesting jobs out there. Sorry. all right, so you did that and then
0: uh, you went to work with your dad. Yeah, so I was working this graveyard shift. I would go into this computer trading business at 8 p.m. at night work until 6 a.m. Why do people need computer parts overnight? We were calling Asia. Got it. Like that makes there sense. was a team of 20 people who we were calling Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, all over. Mainly yeah. in China. I mean, it was crazy. I would call these places and they'd be like, you're calling from Boston? What time is it there? I'm like, oh, it's 3.30 like, a.m. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, the Asian crisis came in 98, right? And my dad never liked the idea that I was working this graveyard shift, and I think it—I was kind of like starting to lose my mind because it's almost like the medicine.
1: So you, you 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 would just sleep during like like it wasn't that was your permanent shift or that was like that's the permanent a shift. Wow! So you inverse your like schedule and then you yeah and the weekends you must have been a mess
0: yeah. On the weekends you try to go back yeah so that you can have some sort of social life and be normal yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I was young, so at the time it seemed possible. I I think it it is detrimental to your health. (laughs) But uh, in combination with the financial crisis in Asia in 98, my dad was, we would have phone conversations, and he said he would go to these um, meetings on Wall Street, all these experts would be talking about Asia could be in a recession, it could take a decade to recover. And he was saying, well, if you're doing business in Asia, it's probably not a good time to be doing that. So why don't you consider other things? And yeah. inevitably, it was never planned, but he said, Oh, you know, we have a my business, we're a small team. Maybe you can come join us. And like we need a young person and <laughs> see what you can bring to the table. So yeah, yeah that I, I joined and the rest is history. So what does the business do? And who are the clients? We're financial advisors. We're fee-only yeah. financial advisors. We never charge a commission. We work with families, with individuals. We work with small business owners to help set up 401k plans. We've managed some pension fund money too, but yeah. these days it tends to be more more families. And can you talk about like I think a, so many people
1: don't. I, I won't mention any names, but there's there's a lot of you know. McDonald's sort of, you know, advisory firms out there and, and that aren't fee only, you know, which seems attractive, but you know, the model is to push you to high load products by the, you know, the family, like, can you sort of explain why the, that model is different and why, you know, some of the nightmare stories of people, uh, someone was just telling me every day, actually someone on my team has sort of a side hustle, like a money literacy business. And, you know, her why was it was some she got one of these firms when she was 24 years old, got her into an annuity that you know was terrible that she doesn't need and she can't get out of. So, explain like the different models and and how people fall into these un- unnamed places and what 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 it sort of looks like on that side.
0: Well, I think there are a bunch of factors that are going against us, and yeah. one is that there's not enough personal finance taught in school, so. Like we don't learn about these things right and then my industry it's regulated but no one really seems to know the difference between a salesman versus a fee-only advisor right and just about anybody can call him or herself a financial advisor yeah it's like a very broad title
1: have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash practical. That's LinkedIn.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right. But these pretty well named places, right? They they yeah. they give people the brand, but they don't even pay them anything. It's like, then go eat what you kill.
0: Yeah, that's true. And a lot of those uh, traditionally have been like commission paying jobs, right? right? It's like I pay you very little. You need to go kill the food and eat it, and yeah. we'll pay you a commission. And when you have that, it's not guaranteed that the product that is being pitched to the customer is the best solution for them.
1: My my favorite quote, I always confuse. I don't know whether it was Buffett or Munger, but it's show me the incentive and I'll tell you the behavior.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you mentioned annuities and I think it's... Um, it's especially prevalent there because yeah. there are annuity products that pay an eight or nine percent commission. That's big incentive.
1: Is that in perpetuity, like every year it's paid, or is that like just upfront?
0: That's a one-time okay. payment. But you know, imagine selling like a million-dollar yeah annuity policy. Yeah, and they're going to get nine percent. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a pretty good payday.
1: And, and again, like let's be super clear: when you're when you're not making you know any money uh you know up front and it's a choice between the thing that pays you a lot and the thing that doesn't put food on your table then uh it, it's hard to you know this is why incentives where incentives are powerful
0: i think the good news is that uh the industry is changing in that there is more transparency i yeah. think the consumer is becoming more educated you know they're there's still too many cases where somebody's being sold a bill of goods that could be high fee, you know. They could be buying mutual funds and not realizing that there's a sales charge. Uh, but the industry is moving away from that, uh, which is good.
1: Yeah. Well, technology is also forcing them to do that. Yeah, there, right? fintech, right? Yeah.
0: Fees are go- there's fee compression and zero uh, percent commissions for trading. You know, yeah. at Schwab, TD fidelity, just about everywhere. Yeah, And I think ultimately that benefits the, uh, you know, the the end investor, we hope. Yeah. So what's the biggest
1: mistake that people come to you that they've made financially, or they come to you and they're like, can you get me out of this? Or (laughs) I I didn't understand this. And I like, what what are you undoing the most?
0: Yeah. Well, there are a few things. Number one, I would say there are there are quite a few people who come to us because they've already bought an annuity and there are surrender charges associated with that. So Can you
1: actually explain for everyone, just to be clear like what an annuity is, who it is, okay. like what it does and who it is supposed to be for and why it's not a good idea for most people?
0: Sure, I'll try to <laughs> keep it short and keep it simple, but an annuity is an insurance product. Yeah. It's really an insurance contract. And there's an. It's issued by an insurance company. Uh, there are many different flavors of annuities. Usually, the prospectus, I mean, they can be two or three hundred pages. So they they can be very complicated. Yeah. So there are variable annuities. There are indexed annuities, and usually the promise is either there's some tax like it's tax deferred. So if you want a tax deferred investment, you can buy a variable annuity. And then the indexed annuities, which are newer, oftentimes they're guaranteeing a interest rate and they're being sold to somebody who is worried about the volatility of the financial markets and they don't want to lose money. And um, usually it might pay like a 3% interest, which is not that great. Yeah. But the product is called an indexed annuity and it's tied to a stock index kind of in the calculation. Uh, It's a little bit misleading. Some salespeople sell it as you can get market performance with no downside, which is not the truth.
1: Right. And in addition to the fees that they get, right? This is like with certain insurance, there's a ton of fees in the product itself, right?
0: Yeah, well, the indexed annuities... You don't see the fee as the customer, so it's sold as oh, there's no fee. Yeah, but you know the insurance companies who sell these products—they don't live in a vacuum. They're still taking your money that you've invested to buy this policy, and they still need to get a return. Usually, yeah. they're buying like a bond portfolio, and um, that's why they tend to be pretty low-yielding products. But yeah. unfortunately, sometimes people are told that oh, you can get an 8% return when the market goes up, but it'll never go down. I think that's misleading. I think what you end up getting is that you do have a guaranteed rate and that might be anywhere from 2 to 4%. And in my view, where that makes sense for somebody is it's longevity insurance. Like You're going to have a guaranteed rate of return right. for a long period of time. So if you live a long time and you bought that product, you reach a point where you made out, but you can also just
1: take the money and save and invest in yourself without any of the constraints, and pretty much be in the same place, right? It's
0: yeah, that's, that's what it. it Seems like
1: it's sold for people who don't have discipline, but it's a very expensive price to pay to not have discipline. You'd be better off discipline putting it in, in a fear. index fund and throwing out the the you know account number or whatever, and, and not digging it up unless you needed it.
0: Yeah, I mean. What I love about my business is that there are so many ways to invest. Yeah, Everybody has a different style strategy. If somebody becomes an expert, like in a specific area, you can still do great. And it can also be super simplified too, because yeah. it's like, all right, as you said, buy an index fund, buy the S&P 500. As you get older, just own a little bit less of the S&P 500 and yeah. put it in bonds. So if you have a balanced portfolio that it might be 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, and then as you're getting older, it's, you're scaling that back. History says that that does much better than annuity products. Yeah. And as you said, no constraints. You have liquidity. If you needed your money for unforeseen reasons, you can sell the S&P 500 right now yeah. and have access to that cash. Whereas if you had an annuity product, you, you're going to have to pay a penalty. Interesting. You know, sometimes it could be like a 10% penalty to access your money sooner.
1: Yeah. that You get killed on those things. So Andrew, I'm curious, like we still don't teach financial literacy <laughs> in this country. We don't teach it in high school. You know, one of the, uh, I mean, you can take it probably in college, personal finance course, but it's not mandatory. And, and people just, there's a lot of complex things out there. They don't understand them. I mean, one of the examples I always give you know, the amount of people that lease their cars, you know, these days, And I said, like, if I asked 100 people how a lease payment was determined on the car in the US, I bet you four would answer me, oh, well, it's the difference between the new price and the depreciation at the expected return date plus an interest rate. <laughs> like, you know, they don't. So I mean, what's your thought on this? Like, should it why don't we do this? Do other countries do it? Like, should this be mandatory?
0: (laughs) I think it should be mandatory. Yeah. Since we all have to live with money. We all have to manage money. And the fact is that we don't have companies that we work for like our whole career where there's a pension and the company is basically making a promise to take care of us in our retirement. Everybody is like each man for himself. Here, if you're lucky, here's a 401k plan, which you have to manage yourself. Like you have to decide: Are you contributing? If you are, what investment menu selections are you making? It's all on you. Yeah. Uh, so I think it would be good to at least get some basics in school, and you know, just simple lessons like the power of compounding. So if you start buying the S&P 500 when you're 20 years old. Like, what does that look like 30 years down the line? If you're making 8% every year, it's significant. Like that's how people become millionaires. Or before you sign
1: up for the $270,000 of college loans, like what, (laughs) what will it actually take? I mean, it's almost criminal that an 18 year old would sign that without any financial literacy or education. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One can argue that that's criminal. I'm not a lawyer, but I would. I would try to argue that that's criminal. How many clients or how many people do you talk to
1: that regret their student loans or really had no comprehension of what it would take to pay them back?
0: My clients tend to, well, I, I think by nature of my business, yeah, I'm working with people who have paid off their, their loans and they now have some money to invest and they're trying to plan for the future. Like, I'm 40 now. How am I going to make sure that I can retire yeah. comfortably? Can you do some calculations to make sure that I'm going to get there? But you know, I do talk to like clients' kids, and I have three kids of my own. I mean, that's a very real worry that I have myself. How am yeah. I going to put three kids through college? And my oldest is 14 now, so I figure like I've got You're five years. Yeah. I'm close. My youngest is nine. I have a little bit more time. You're
1: you're rooting for the higher education thing to blow up just yes. in time. Deflation. I've been error, rooting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've been rooting for 14 years now, yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't happened. But I think that people do like it requires creativity. Uh, I was just telling someone today that I have a friend whose daughter's at NYU right now, but his son is in high school. His son is a junior, and he actually pulled his son out of school. And his son is homeschooled right now, yeah. As a junior in high school, but he's taking courses at the local community college. Before yeah. doing this, he talked to the community college and said, "Would you take a high school student?" And they said, "Absolutely, as long as you're paying for classes, sure." Uh, so his plan is, in essence, for his son to take the next two years of courses, graduate high school, and have half his college credits completed. So he can cut his college tuition in half. Yeah. And um, I think that it, it takes some creative thinking, you know, like that. I don't think everybody is willing to do that. Right. Um, I don't see that many people doing that. I do see more people considering community college just because of the, the value. Right.
1: If you don't know what you want
0: to do, you know, there uh,
1: education used to always be the safe. You don't want to do just go back. Like, but it's really expensive to go back to school if you're doing that as a change and you're not sure it's what you want to do and you need to figure stuff out like you'd be better off maybe doing nothing than borrowing $50,000 a year <laughs>
0: right right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i think um yes the prospect of having you know six digits in debt and getting a job like you don't know what the job market's going to be like if you land a job It's not going to be paying six figures. So you're going to have this hanging over your head for a while. Yeah. At that point, what is that piece of paper worth? You know, was it a good choice or not?
1: Was there a return on (laughs) equity
0: or investment? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your return on capital is not that good. I mean, we we see companies like Google and others starting to put less of a weighting on college education. And at the same time, we see like online learning, especially post-pandemic, right? Uh, up, people yeah. can take courses online. And I mean, I, I've taken like Berkeley College of Music courses just awesome. for fun, yeah. for free. Yeah. <laughs> hey,
1: Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The Pay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I... Eventually, eventually there will be a price where everyone's like, "It's not worth it." Particularly when the competing product is free, and if the marketplace doesn't demand it. Uh, Well, one of the big things I wanted to ask you about, as I sit here and watch, I'm sure you have clients who've been very successful. They've had exits. They've, you know, families. I'm now I'm late to the party, but I'm watching succession. You know, I think probably everyone's nightmare. For, for, you know, how to not, you know, have your kids take over the family business, you know, what, what do you recommend or, you know, how, I, were people who, you know, a lot of them came from nothing, had a lot of success, and they're really struggling with how do they, you know, now they have these, these certain resources, you know, available, but they do not want to remove that desire or hunger or need to succeed that, that they had. Is that, is there a big psychology, you know, part of it with, with clients around that and thinking around strategies around that and their, and their kids?
0: Is this the older guard?
1: Yeah. The older guard who, who, who's made it and, and doesn't want to screw up their kids because they've made it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, money is such a, or it can be such a complex topic. I, I think everybody has like a, different relationship with money now, yeah. and then going all the ba- all the way to the beginning, like when you were a kid, what were those formative memories? Yeah. Um, so I think that it's hard to generalize. Like I find that everybody has a different idea. Um, recently, I was talking to a guy who uh, made a lot of money. He was very successful in real estate, and he wants to leave his two kids money when he passes away. But he says... He feels like his daughter just can't handle it. Like She has a lot of anxiety when it comes to money. So he's like, anything that I give her investment-wise, as soon as I give it to her, she just liquidates it because she's afraid. And he's like, what kind of things can I do? I'm like, well, you could set up a trust and you could control like you could put limitations on what she can and cannot do with it. But I said, you know, you got to make some choices. Like, do you want to control it from the grave? He said, no, mm. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, he's like, I have friends who do that and I don't want to do that. So yeah, I, I think that everybody has to kind of look at their situation and communication good, right? It's like, you got to talk to your spouse. It's good to talk to your kids. And hopefully there's an understanding of, you know where the family is, where the family came from, where the family wants to go, because it's all about communication and setting a plan. And I think if you can do that intergenerationally, that's pretty powerful. Probably not enough people do that,
1: yeah. I was part of an exercise with a group on this and and listening to people's thoughts around it, and right. It was sort of like, Drafting the will or the letter to your kids, because again, if you have any sort of life insurance or anything and something happens to you, they can have a a lot of money, you know, joke worth much more dead than alive. Uh, and th- so so we collected a bunch of examples of letters and stuff that advisors and trust people and 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 all the ones that were prescriptive, it just seemed like there was no end to that, right? Like if you go down the prescriptive route of, well, you can do this, but not this. like, you almost need a hundred pages to cover everything. And it, it it's hard to not feel like, man, but but then these other ones were very values based and they were kind of more like, Hey, here's what we value. Here's how we did this. Here's what we'd like, how to like to see these resources used. Here's how we wouldn't. And then I think everyone to a T said that, you know, those examples just resonated a lot better with them because it just felt like when you start down the prescription route of what you can do and not do, that's an endless list. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the 200-page document yeah. usually just keeps the attorneys busy, yeah, happy and well paid. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like I have 3 kids, they're all young, but you know, the hope is that we can impress upon them or give them some perspective. Like we want them to be to never take money for granted. So we try to expose them to, you know, we'll go volunteer at a food bank or we're collecting money for some families who, you know, they're, they're refugees and yeah. they just don't have enough clothes. They're just new to the country. So, you know, it's like, as you said, it, that's the values, right? Right. You're trying to make sure that kids don't take money for granted, that they're grateful for what they have. And hopefully they will understand the importance of saving and investing as well as charity. So that when they grow up, they'll be able to be mature enough to make good financial decisions. You know, time will tell how they do, you know, will they be able to be financially independent on their own? And if they get there, will they be able to manage that? But, you know, we hope that they can and uh, hope that they will. I agree. And again, after
1: watching, you know, Succession, have you you seen the show yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of loosely based on the Murdochs and the father's the aging father sort of creates a hunger games environment <laughs> among his four kids for who is going to take over the empire. And let's just say they are all not very well-adjusted values-oriented
0: kids. It's gonna be a good show because yeah, I think there's a there's quite a lot of that in real life. <laughs>
1: yeah, none of the characters are likable in the entire show. Like uh it, it's actually fairly uh interesting. So, what what's the best investment? Or financial advice that anyone's ever given you. And what's the what do you think the worst is that you've heard?
0: Yeah, you know, it's complicated in that I do agree with Warren Buffett, who says that most people should just buy an index fund and you know, call it a day, because usually that does best. And even as a professional investor. I look at client portfolios. I look at my own portfolio. The S&P 500 has done very well this year. And all the research that we do, I'm like most of the time I'm better off just owning the S&P 500. At least this year, especially. Yeah. But having met many successful investors, most of them bought individual company stocks and held them basically forever. Our accountant is one example. His dad was also an accountant and taught accounting at Rutgers University. He loved financial, like bank and insurance stocks. Huh. And he must have bought them in his 20s and held them until he was 90 years old. And they just reinvest dividends and reinvest dividends. And Multimillionaire. Yeah, yeah. Because the <laughs> stock splits, the dividends, those yeah. companies all grew their earnings. So they appreciated. And similarly, I have another client who... um He's extremely wealthy. Combination of investing in public stocks, but he also invested in private companies early and then you know made a killing on a lot of those. I mean, those are long shots, right? Um, you do that knowing that the majority of the companies are just not going to make it. But those that do can be home runs. Yeah, And same thing with him. Just very patient, Very logical when it comes to trying to analyze a business and identify mega trends that are happening. So, if he were looking at him today, it's like he's probably looking at AI and what's the next technology that's going to be changing the world, and he's going to want to be there. And I think that the difference between investing in the individual companies versus the index is that in tough times, maybe. It's a little bit easier to stick to your guns when you own the individual companies because you just understand them a little bit better. Right, you know their business. You just have more conviction. Yeah. Whereas the index of like five hundred companies, you don't really feel connected. So it takes like extra discipline to not disturb it. But yeah, the the guys who have really really amassed a lot of wealth through their investments, uh, when I look at them, it's because they believed in companies and they wanted to be investors they weren't trading they wanted to own these companies they believed in the companies they believed in the company managements and they just held on to them yeah and i mean 30 40 years later it's really unbelievable how much <laughs> like how much money that they well back they to grow. the compound interest rule right <laughs> yeah big time so i think that you know it's like you just got to be patient and you can't you can't force grass to grow faster you have to treat it kind of like that it's like you watered the lawn and you have to let it grow. Well, do you worry
1: about, again, what Robinhood culture has sort of done to like the gamification of, of this is like, I, I was reading an article this week around, right. If if buy and hold has worked for the people, then day trading is not is probably not. And I was reading about this guy who lost all his money because he followed these advice in Ford and then he bought an option and he was like, it just was addictive. Like, you know, my Robinhood app would pop up and it would tell me the stuff and it was you know, the, he's like, they're using the like, same things that Instagram and social media use to keep you kind of on there. So I'm sure I you read have that article that. too. Oh, you read you did read that the guy who lost all $400,000 or whatever it was? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's all the negative. The positive is that technology is leveling the playing field so that many more people can invest, meaning that you don't need to have as much money because the fees are now zero. And you can buy fractional shares, so you know if you had five dollars, you could actually invest in stocks or invest in the stock market. And I think that's a positive, but there is a negative because generally, the more you do, (laughs) the worse things are. Like I don't know if it was true, but they always um, they always cite this Fidelity study uh, where they looked at the accounts that did best over time, and like they were the forgotten accounts. People either had money there and they forgot about it or yep. they were dead. <laughs> so nobody touched them.
1: I go through those newspaper listings when they come around. <laughs> the abandoned accounts. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think when it comes to investing, less can be more. You know, that's why it's like you, you you, have to commit to doing it as early as you can to doing it with some consistency. And then you do need some faith to Just let it grow. Like, let it do its thing. Don't micromanage it. Yeah. Um, What did someone say to me recently? Mr. Market is designed to (laughs) inflict the most amount of pain on the most amount of people. Um, So you can't just follow the herd and be trying to, like, run in and out. Yeah. Very, very few people are able to do that. And then to do that consistently is even rarer. Great. All right. Well, Andrew, where can people learn more about uh, you and your work and your podcast? Well, thanks for having me on. I'm a fan of the Elevate podcast. I've been listening to a bunch of shows. So it's exciting to be here. Uh, People can find me at inspiredmoney.fm. You were a guest on Inspired Money and I enjoyed talking to you. I get to talk to all kinds of uh, inspiring people about positive money stories and um, have fun there. And that that also goes to my website uh, for Runnymede Capital, so people can find me.
1: All right, great. Well, thanks for sharing your your story, your advice with us. You got a fascinating background. And again, I don't know a lot of people who, uh, you know, we're, we're getting their lasagna with return on equity uh, learning at the Ethic Engine table, but I, it sounds like a, a lesson that you
0: carried well with you forward. Yeah, it's always, it's always been fun. It's always been fun. Never a boring moment. <laughs> All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning into the Elevate podcast today.
1: We'll include links to Andrew and his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevated.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network.